This is episode 484 of the AWS podcast, released on November 21st, 2021. G'day everyone, Simon here with a quick pre-podcast message. Episode number 500 of the AWS podcast is coming up. We have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests, but we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, etc., we'd love to hear from you. If you visit adibus.amazon.com slash podcast slash podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode. Keep on building. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesh here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined, of course, by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? I am good. And my goodness, do we have a bunch of stuff to cover today? Pretty big. I know. It's the, uh, <laughs> the pre-reinvent set of launches. That's right. And of course, a reminder, there'll be uh, reInvent episodes each and every day of reInvent. Uh, we record them and turn around fast so that you can keep track of them. They're also useful for uh, sort of Christmas, New Year listening when you've got a little downtime as well. So uh, just a heads up that they're coming. But let's get into it. We'll start off with the topic of the AWS Marketplace. The AWS Marketplace has announced enhancements to change request submission experience. Now, AWS Marketplace sellers can start multiple self-serve change requests for AMIs, containers, professional services, and machine learning products via the portal and via the catalog API as well. So this gives you a lot more flexibility in how you operate. The AWS Marketplace has also announced purchase order management for SaaS contracts. So customers can now add purchase order numbers for their AWS invoices for SaaS contracts purchased in AWS Marketplace. Again, just makes it easier. Moving on to the topic of analytics, bunch of updates here for QuickSight. We're going to try to run through them quickly. Um, first, sheet change performance optimizations are now generally available. So QuickSight now only refreshes visuals when switching sheets if required, such as when a parameter filter change is made, which creates a seamless sheet change experience for users, further enhancing visual load time performance. QuickSight has also launched four new admin features, including IP-based access restrictions and bring your own role for account setup, as well as service control policy-based signup, which allows admins to restrict QuickSight account setup options within their accounts and automated email sync for federated SSO users, which allows admins to set up QuickSight SSO such that email addresses for end users are automatically synced at first-time login, avoiding any manual errors during entry. And then I mentioned the Bring Your Own Role for Account Setup, which allows users setting up a QuickSight account to pick from an existing role in their AWS account that QuickSight will use instead of QuickSight creating a custom service role for the account. And the IP-based restrictions allow admins to enforce source IP restrictions on access to the QuickSight UI mobile app, as well as embedded pages. They've also launched Spice Incremental Refresh, which is a feature that supports incrementally loading new data to Spice datasets without needing to refresh the full set of data. Remember, Spice is QuickSight's super fast parallel in-memory calculation engine. Previously, customers could only have a full refresh of Spice datasets that can take hours to reload all the data even if only a small portion of it has changed. Now with incremental refresh, you can update your data sets in a fraction of the time that a full refresh would take, which is great. And then lastly for QuickSight, they've launched a new table and pivot table announcements. QuickSight now supports advanced styling for your table and pivot table. Authors can create beautiful tables, follow a design pattern, or apply a standardized corporate identity to their tabular visuals with the newly launched options to customize borders and colors. They can also apply custom borders and styling for their totals and subtotals, letting them create financial reports like income statements, et cetera. So it looks like a lot of visual enhancements there. A lot of nice stuff. Moving on to the topic yeah. of Athena, Amazon Athena has announced cross-account federated query. So if you have data sources other than, other than S3, I should say, you can use Amazon Athena federated query to analyze the data in place or build pipelines that extract and store data in S3. Now, until today, querying that data required the data source and connector to be in the same AWS account as the user querying the data. No longer, no more. Cross-account federated query is a thing. It makes life a lot easier. And another update for Athena is cost details have been added to query execution plans. So with the release of the uh, explain analyze statement, 
Athena can now execute your specified query and return a detailed breakdown of its execution plan along with the CPU usage of each stage and the number of rows processed. So this is really useful for you to be able to figure out how to optimize your queries. AWS Lake Formation now supports AWS Private Link. So this is, of course, supporting managed VPC endpoints that access your data lake in a VPC. So you can now authorize access to the data lake for client applications and services inside your VPC and on-premises using private IP connectivity. We've also introduced the ability to connect EMR clusters in different subnets in EMR Studio. So again, this allows you to do a lot more flexibility instead of having to select a subnet while creating a workspace. So now you have, again, more networking options. Amazon Redshift has announced native support for SQL Alchemy and Apache Airflow open source frameworks. The updated Amazon Redshift dialect for SQL Alchemy supports the Amazon Redshift open source Python driver. And with this release, you can use single sign-on with your identity provider to connect to your Redshift clusters and get rid of those credential management pains. And you can also use new Amazon Redshift features like timestamp TZ and time TZ data types when you migrate to the latest Redshift dialect for SQL Alchemy and Apache Airflow. We're also happy to announce the AWS Data Exchange for Amazon Redshift in preview. This is really cool. This is a new feature that lets customers find and subscribe to third-party data in AWS Data Exchange that they can query in an Amazon Redshift data warehouse in minutes. So data providers can list and offer products containing Amazon Redshift data sets in the AWS Data Exchange catalog, granting subscribers direct read-only access to the data stored in Amazon Redshift. So this lets you quickly query analyze and build applications using those third-party data sets. No ETL required, which is pretty nice. Nice. Moving on to the topic of application integration, the CDK has released five new versions for all the languages it supports, JavaScript, TypeScript, Java, Python, .NET, and Go, which now includes high-level APIs for AWS AppRunner, a fully managed service making it easier for devs to quickly deploy containerized web applications and APIs at scale with no prior infrastructure experience required. And the CDK CLI can now perform hot swap deployments for containers in ECS tasks and AWS step functions. These releases, which again, five new versions, resolve 40 issues and introduce over 50 new features that span over 50 different modules across the library. Many of these changes were contributed by the community, which is awesome. Uh, lastly, for this topic, Amazon SNS now supports token-based authentication for APNS mobile push notifications. So SNS now supports token-based auth for sending push notifications to Apple devices. When creating a new platform application in the SNS console or API, you can now choose between token-based, which is a .p8 key file, or certificate-based, which is a .p12 certificate auth. Nice. Moving on to the topic of blockchain. Uh, Amazon QLDB has launched a new version of the QLDB shell. Now, if you have not come across the Amazon Quantum Ledger database, QLDB, it is all kinds of awesome. It gives you all the cool stuff you want from a transparent, immutable, and cryptographically verifiable log without all the other fuss and bother. And so this new QLDB shell is easier to install and to use as well. Moving on to the topic of business applications, the Chime SDK now supports phone call recording. So with the public switch telephone network audio APIs, developers can build customized telephone applications like voice menus, click to call and call routing using the simplicity of a serverless Lambda function. And now they can record their public switch telephone network session initiation protocol voice calls and store the recordings in S3 in a bucket of their choosing using the call recording feature. The Chime SDK also launched a few other updates here. They now support push notifications. So with push notifications, a developer using the SDK messaging for chat can help ensure their users are notified about new messages even when they're not actively using the app. Chime SDK also now supports video background blur. So video background blur runs locally in each user's browser, transforming video before it is shared into the meeting. Users can confirm their background is blurred prior to joining a meeting through video preview, and the blur strength is adjustable from low strength effect to high strength obfuscation. And lastly, the SDK has announced messaging channel flows, which can be used to perform functions like aggregation of responses to a poll before sending results back to participants. Nice. Moving on to the topic of compute, we have a whole bunch of updates. So I'm going to go through at a pretty rapid clip. 
We are pleased to announce the general availability of Amazon EC2 G5 instances. These are powered by NVIDIA A10G Tensor Core GPUs, and they are useful for a wide range of graphics-intensive or machine learning use cases. They give you up to three times higher performance for graphic-intensive applications and machine learning inference, and up to 3.3 times higher performance for training simple, moderate complex machine learning models when compared to the EC2 G4DN instances. The G5 instances feature up to eight of the Tensor Core GPUs and also support up to 192 vCPUs and 100 gig of network bandwidth. There is a lot of good stuff going on here. We also have the new EC2 C6i instances. Now, these are powered by the third generation Intel Xeon scalable processors, codenamed Ice Lake, with an all-core turbo frequency of 3.5 gigahertz and offer up to 15% better compute price performance over the C5 instances for a wide variety of workloads and always on memory encryption using total memory encryption from Intel. We're also announcing the Amazon EC2 DL1 instances for cost-efficient training of deep learning models. Now, these are instances that are powered by Gaudi accelerators from Habana Labs, which is an Intel company. And these instances deliver up to 40% better price performance than current generation GPU-based EC2 instances for training deep learning models and are optimized for workloads such as image classification, object detection, and natural language processor. So a reminder to always be reviewing which EC2 instances you're using to get benefit. We're also announcing a new capability to switch license types for Windows Server and SQL Server applications on Amazon EC2. So you now have the ability to easily switch between AWS provided licenses and bring your own licenses for Windows Server and SQL Server workloads using AWS License Manager. Now, this is really useful as your business and licensing needs evolve. More details in the show notes. Amazon EC2 Fleet and Spot Fleet now support automatic instance termination with capacity rebalancing. Now, with capacity rebalancing, EC2 Fleet and Spot Fleet attempt to replace a spot instance when it is at elevated risk of interruption, as indicated by the EC2 instance rebalance recommendation signal. Now, until now, EC2 Fleet or Spot Fleet launched a replacement spot instance without terminating the spot instance that got the rebalance recommendation, meaning you either needed to manually terminate it once it was complete the rebalancing, or let it run until it was interrupted by EC2. Now it will do it automatically for you. Amazon EC2 now supports access to Red Hat Knowledge Base. This is a nice one because basically if you're a customer running a subscription included Red Hat Enterprise Linux OS on Amazon EC2, you can seamlessly access Red Hat Knowledge Base at no additional cost. This is a library of articles, frequently asked questions and best practice guides. Amazon EC2 now supports sharing Amazon machine images across AWS organizations and organizational units. So this uh, upgrades from when you could only share using specific AWS account IDs. Obviously, as you grow your organization, this makes it a lot easier. We're also pleased to announce attribute-based instance type selection for autoscaling groups, EC2 fleet and spot fleet. I'm excited about this one because now instead of selecting the specific instance types and having to do your research, you simply just create uh, your requests based upon the characteristics that you want. Um, so you may say, I want the latest generation instance type or I want a particular amount of RAM or CPU, etc. It'll give you the answer you need without you having to figure it out. And finally, on the topic of EC2, we have the EC2 spot placements score, I should say. I was going to say store, but score is what it is. And it allows you to find the optimal location for your spot workloads. Spot instance availability varies depending on the instance type, time of day, region, and availability zone. And until now, there was no sort of optimal way to find an optimal region or availability zone to fill your need without actually trying to launch the instance. Now you'll get a score that will tell you the likelihood of getting what you wanted. EKS has a bunch of updates here. Uh, first, they've added support for additional cluster configuration options using CloudFormation, so you can now configure tags, endpoint access control, and control plane logging all through CloudFormation for EKS. The uh, EKS for Fargate now supports Fluent Bit Kubernetes filter. So Fargate now supports the use of the Kubernetes Fluent Bit filters, which provide enriched Kubernetes-specific metadata to Fluent Bit logs. Customers can now easily observe and troubleshoot their applications by using the Kubernetes pod, container, or namespace name, among other Kubernetes metadata, to associate with their application's logs. EKS Managed Node Groups has added native support for Bottle Rocket. Uh, so this native support for Bottle Rocket allows EKS customers to deploy their applications on worker nodes backed by operating systems that are designed for a variety of use cases. AWS launched Bottle Rocket, which is a minimal Linux-based open source operating system that is purpose-built and optimized to run containers. 
When combined, EKS Managed Node Groups and Bottle Rocket gives customers an easy way to provision and manage compute capacity using the latest best practices for running containers in production. Bottle Rocket is now included as a built-in AMI choice for managed node groups, enabling customers to provision container-optimized work nodes with a single click. DevOps Guru has increased coverage of Amazon EKS metrics and added metrics view by cluster. So the DevOps Guru has added support for additional metrics at the node and pod level for clusters managed by EKS. These node-level metrics help pinpoint specific nodes that may have high memory, CPU, or file system utilization instead of relying on cluster-level aggregates. Pod-level metrics, which include pod CPU utilization over pod limit and pod memory utilization over pod limit, will help identify which pods are going over soft limits and therefore are in danger of hitting hard resource constraints or at risk of producing errors due to resource exhaustion. DevOps Guru also tracks container restarts and notifies you of issues with pulling images or issues with application startup. ECS has a couple updates as well. They have improved capacity providers to deliver faster cluster auto-scaling. Customers who need to launch a large number of tasks, like above 100, on their ECS clusters will now see their cluster infrastructure scale a lot faster, which is great. Cluster auto-scaling is an ECS capability that manages the scaling of ECS auto-scaling groups on your behalf, so you can just focus on running your tasks. The optimizations that they've made are in the capacity providers, which now enable ECS to adjust cluster capacity in a more responsive manner, especially in cases when a cluster needs to scale out to launch a large number of tasks, or when multiple ECS services that have disparate resource requirements are scaling out simultaneously. These performance optimizations will give you a faster cluster auto-scaling experience. ECS has now also added container instance health information, so customers now get enhanced visibility into the health of their compute infrastructure. Customers running containerized workloads on ECS or on-prem with ECS Anywhere can now query the health status of the container runtime for their container instances directly from the ECS API, and this helps improve application resiliency. Fargate now supports ECS Windows containers. I love this one specifically. Well, at least I, I really wanted this one a few years ago. But so yeah, Fargate now has the ability to launch ECS Windows containers. So it's super easy to run Windows containers on AWS now because, you know, Fargate is uh, amazing and takes uh, most of the launch hassle away from you. The AWS App2 container now supports ECS Fargate Windows, speaking of that. So with this feature, you can now target AWS Fargate for EC2 Windows containers as a deployment runtime, in addition to ECS and EKS that were previously supported. So using App2 container, developers can take a running Windows-based .NET application or a Windows service, analyze, containerize, and deploy to AWS Fargate for ECS Windows containers in a few simple steps. Once you've done that, you can take advantage of auto scaling, host management, and secured application lifecycle management offered by AWS Fargate. AWS Lambda now supports cross-account container image pulling from Amazon Elastic Container Registry. So now you can get those container images that are stored in a different AWS account from that of your AWS Lambda function rather than having to copy it across. We're happy to announce AWS SAM Accelerate. This allows you to quickly test code changes against the cloud. And this is a public preview. The AWS SAM CLI is a developer tool that makes it easier to build locally test, package, and deploy serverless applications. And SAM Accelerate is a new capability of SAM CLI that makes it faster and easier for developers to test code changes made locally to their serverless applications against a cloud-based environment, which reduces the time from local iteration to production readiness, which is always a good thing. Amazon using that today. Yeah, how how did you find it? I mean, I haven't used it yet, but I will. Um, it's You're getting onto to it today. <laughs> yeah, you will test and report back. Yes. Amazon LightSail now supports AWS CloudFormation for instances, disks, and databases. So this is a new convenient way to manage your LightSail resources in addition to the console and the CLI and SDK. This is really easy when you're using Amazon LightSail at scale. AWS Batch introduces fair share scheduling. So if you've ever used AWS Batch before, you'll know that it makes it easy to run different workloads in a single queue. And basically this queue was typically a first in first out type thing. And now it allows you to have a fair share scheduling of jobs. So it'll handle assigned compute amongst multiple users and workloads based on factors other than just whoever turned up first. So you get better processing efficiency and better respect for users and workload priorities as well. 
And finally, in this topic, AWS Fault Injection Simulator now injects spot instance interruptions. So you can now run tests to make sure that when spot instances get interrupted, you are going to be as resilient as you want. If you haven't used the Fault Injection Simulator, it is a really cool thing to test how your application behaves against the unexpected. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Simple Email Service, also known as SES, has now offers a new console experience. So it's a complete newly redesigned service console that should make it easier for customers to leverage the speed, reliability, and flexibility that SES has to offer. It also has a new robust set of configuration options and features that were not previously available in the classic console, such as account level suppression list, assigning a default configuration set, 2048-bit DKIM keys, and the account dashboard. Connect has a bunch of updates here. Uh, First, they've launched contact APIs to fetch and update contact details programmatically. So you can now add or update contact details programmatically from your applications with new APIs. Uh, They've also launched scheduled tasks, which allow customers to schedule tasks up to six days in the future to follow up on customer issues when promised, which is really nice. They also now enable you to create and orchestrate tasks directly from flows. So customers can create and orchestrate tasks directly from contact flows based on customer input or call, chat, and task information without any coding required. Connect has also added real-time message streaming APIs, which allow you to create customized experiences for your customers by enabling you to subscribe to a real-time stream of chat messages. Using the new APIs, you can integrate Connect with SMS solutions and third-party messaging applications, such as Facebook Messenger, Twitter, etc. Enable mobile push notifications and create analytics dashboards to monitor and track chat message activity. Connect has also launched cloud formation support for users, user hierarchy groups, and hours of operations. So all three of those APIs can be now used in cloud formation with Amazon Connect. And they've also launched an API to configure hours of operation programmatically. So with this new API, you can configure hours of operation, which can be used in contact flows to decide which queue to route contacts to. Additionally, you can now delete hours of operation that are no longer required using this delete API. They have been super busy. Amazon Kendra has released the SharePoint Connected to enable SharePoint site search. So if you haven't used Amazon Kendra, it's an intelligent search service powered by machine learning, and it lets you get relevant information to customers and employees when they need it. It's actually really good. We use it internally for some stuff, and it's very, very cool. Uh, Now you can index and search documents from Microsoft SharePoint 2013 or Microsoft SharePoint 2016 servers. Amazon Pinpoint has launched in-app messaging as a new communications channel. So this is really useful for creating a very personalized user experience. When an end user is engaged with a mobile or web application, customers can use in-app messaging to show relevant content to drive high-value user actions such as repeat purchases, key content promotion, or user onboarding. And after initial implementation, these messages can be created and launched through the Pinpoint console without the need to make code changes. And Pinpoint had another update, which is the support for 10-digit long code vetting. So this allows you to do an extended review of your company's 10-digit long code registration details. And by vetting your company's 10 DLC registration, you can get higher throughput rates for the messages that you send using those particular numbers. Moving on to the topic of database, Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility has launched a number of updates. So first off, uh, you can achieve up to 30% better performance using the new Graviton 2 instances. So they now have support for the T4G medium and R6G instance types, which are the Graviton 2 instances. Um, And then you can obviously achieve that 30% performance boost when you choose those instances. They've also added support for access control with user-defined roles. So with user-defined roles, you can grant users one or more custom roles that determine which operations they are authorized to perform, which improves DocumentDB's RBAC support, which was previously limited. They've also added support for $literal, $map, and $root. These are additional APIs, and each one, let's see, $literal does, it's an aggregation operator that accepts any valid expression, returns a value without parsing. $map is an aggregation operator that applies an expression to each item in an array and returns an array with the apply results, like .map in any language. $root is a system variable that references top-level document that is being processed in the aggregation pipeline stage. They've also added support for storing, querying, and indexing geospatial data. So with geospatial querying capabilities, 
You can get the following benefits, creating 2D sphere indexes and proximity querying. You can read more information in the show notes if you're interested in geospatial data. And lastly, uh, for DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility, they now provide a JDBC driver to connect from BI tools and execute SQL queries. Ah, this one's actually really powerful. So you can create a JDBC driver that enables connectivity from BI tools such as Tableau, MicroStrategy, ClickView, and uh, other tools such as that. So you can run SQL queries against your DocumentDB cluster from tools like SQL Workbench. Babelfish for Aurora PostgreSQL is now generally available. I know a lot of people have been excited about this. This is a new capability for Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL Compatible Edition that enables it to understand queries from applications written for Microsoft SQL Server. So with Babelfish, applications currently running on SQL Server can directly run on Aurora PostgreSQL with a fraction of the work required compared to a traditional migration. So Babelfish understands the SQL Server Y protocol, TDS, and T-SQL, and the, which is the Microsoft SQL Server query language. So you don't have to switch database drivers or rewrite all your application queries. This is very, very cool. Amazon RDS now supports cross-account KMS keys for exporting RDS snapshots. So you can now export your data with encryption from different accounts that you're importing into. So this gives you more flexibility. Amazon RDS on AWS Outpost now supports exporting database logs to Amazon CloudWatch. And Amazon RDS for MySQL and Outpost now supports some new minor versions, including 8.0.23 and 8.0.25. We recommend you upgrade those to get benefits of the security fixes and other good stuff. Speaking of versions, always good to keep your versions up to date. Amazon Aurora supports PostgreSQL 134, 128, 1113, and 1018. And it also, uh, Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL now supports PostGIS 3.1. Uh, and this is a new version of PostGIS, which allows a whole bunch of cool new geospatial features and a lot of performance improvements as well. We're also thrilled to announce Amazon RDS Custom for Oracle. Now, Amazon RDS Custom is a managed database service for legacy, custom, and packaged applications that require access to the underlying OS and DB environment. And Amazon RDS Custom is now available for the Oracle database engine. And what this does is automates the setup, operation, and scaling of databases in the cloud while granting access to the database and underlying operating system to configure settings, install patches, and enable native features to meet the dependent application's requirements. So if you're familiar with RDS, one of the great things about it is you don't have to touch the operating system or the database. It all gets done for you. This is really useful when you've got stuff that may be a little bit older, a little bit more fiddly and needs that additional customization. You now have it. Amazon RDS for MySQL now supports new minor version 8.0.26 and includes global transaction identifiers and delayed replication. And Amazon RDS Proxy now supports Amazon RDS for MySQL version 8. So additional compatibility there. And if you are previewing changes to new versions, there's a lot of version stuff we're talking about here. PostgreSQL 14 release candidate one is now available in the Amazon RDS database preview environment. So you can spin it up and test it and see if it works the way you thought it would do. And finally, Database Activity Streams now supports Graviton 2 based instances. So this allows you to get way more performance and cost benefit in using this capability. If you haven't used it before, it provides a near real-time stream of database activities in your relational database for auditing and compliance purposes. And when integrated with third-party database activity tools, uh, database activity streams can monitor and audit database activity to give you safeguards for your database and help you meet your security requirements. Moving on to my favorite topic, developer tools. AWS Toolkits for Cloud9, JetBrains, and VS Code now support interaction with over 200 new resource types. So all three of those toolkits now provide customers with the ability to select and view from a list of 245 resource types across 94 services without ever leaving your IDE. With this release, in addition to accessing AWS services that are listed by default in the Explorer pane, customers can choose from hundreds of resources to interact with. This feature uses the Cloud Control API, which enables the toolkit to continually and rapidly add new resource types in the future. Coretto 17 support roadmap has been announced. So they've announced that they will be providing long-term support for Coretto 17 until September 2028, and they will be moving to a new two-year cadence for Coretto LTS releases, along with the rest of the OpenJDK community. Coretto has also announced October quarterly updates. So they have announced quarterly security and critical updates for Coretto long-term support versions. 
Uh, 11.0.13 and 8.312 are now available for download. Corrado 17 updates will be available shortly after the release is tagged in the OpenJDK 17 repository. And lastly, for this topic, Amazon TimeSync service now makes it easier to generate and compare timestamps. So you can generate and compare timestamps from EC2 instances with Clockbound, which is an open source daemon and library. This information is valuable to determine order and consistency for events and transactions across EC2 instances, independent from the instance's respective geographic locations. Clockbound calculates your EC2 instance's clock error bound to measure its clock accuracy and allows you to check if a given timestamp is in the past or future with respect to your instance's current clock. On every call, it will simultaneously return two pieces of information, the current time and the associated absolute error range, which means that the actual time of a clockbound timestamp is within a set range. Very nice. Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, one update here. We're happy to announce Amazon Workspaces API to create new updated images with latest AWS drivers. So now you can keep your Workspaces image up to date with the latest and greatest drivers. Previously, you had to manually launch the instance and install the drivers. Now it's all automagical for you through the API. Moving on to the topic of front-end web and mobile, Amplify has announced new Observe Query API for Data Store, which helps apps with real-time data open faster. So developers can use the new Observe Query API to open apps faster using locally stored data and then update the app UI with real-time data using no additional code. Okay, I personally am going to, I love this one. <laughs> I need to go update all of my applications. <laughs> Um, definitely really excited about this one. So with this new API, you can retrieve both locally stored data and subscribe to subsequent data changes synced from the cloud with a single API call. If you remember previously, you had to wait for local data to actually load upon open of application, which means that you had to show your users a loading screen, which was fun times. So go ahead and update with the new Observe Query API. Amplify has also launched additional updates. They've launched further data management capabilities for the admin UI. Uh, one of them is they've now allowed generating seed data with Faker and downloading data to a CSV file, which simplifies creating and managing data in Amplify and allows for more realistic demo data that is quickly shareable. To see data that looks realistic and matches your needs, you can just go ahead and go to the content tab in your UI and uh, click see data. It's just as simple as that. And then they've also, Amplify for JavaScript now supports resumable file uploads for storage. So it now supports pause, resume, and cancel actions on file uploads to S3 via the Amplify storage category. So that's great if you need to pause or resume file uploads on a mobile device, specifically if there's a network interruption during an upload. And lastly, for this topic, Device Farm has announced support for testing web applications hosted in a VPC. So you can test your web applications on different desktop versions of Chrome, Firefox, Internet Explorer, and Microsoft Edge. And they've now added support for testing web apps that are hosted in a VPC. Moving on to the topic of game tech, there is now new region availability and Graviton 2 support available for Amazon GameLift. So Amazon GameLift is a fully managed, dedicated game server hosting solution that deploys, operates, and scales cloud service for multiplayer games. Uh, it is now available in the uh, Asia-Pacific Osaka region, as well as a whole bunch of others. And GameLift Fleet IQ now supports the next generation AWS Graviton 2 processors, which gives you, of course, better performance and lower cost. Onto the topic of the Internet of Things, we are happy to announce the general availability of the AWS Panorama Appliance. Now, we've spoken about this in previous podcasts, and it is a device that enables customers to improve their operations and reduce costs by using existing on-premises cameras and analyzing video streams locally with computer vision. This is really useful for customers in, in industrial, hospitality, logistics, retails, and other industry that want to make decisions faster and operate uh, and optimize, I should say, their operations. So now you can get access to this. It is available for sale on AWS Elemental in the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, and most of the EU, and will be available in more regions in the coming months. I also did a launch episode on it, so you can go deep on uh, Panorama Appliance if you'd like. It is a good thing. AWS IT Core for LoRaWAN now supports managed firmware over the air updates. So this is really useful if you use that technology. And AWS IT SiteWise announces support for using the same asset models across different hierarchies. So with this feature, customers can simplify the asset modeling experience by reducing the number of models required to build 
a virtual representation of their industrial operations. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, SageMaker Autopilot now generates additional data insights and recommendations. So Autopilot automatically builds, trains, and tunes the machine learning models based on your data, which allows you to maintain full control and visibility. As part of building, Autopilot automatically cleans, prepares, and pre-processes data to optimize performance of machine learning models. And now you can generate several additional data insights that can help you improve the quality of data and thereby build higher quality models that better meet your business needs. Amazon has also announced new NVIDIA Triton inference server on SageMaker, which enables customers who choose NVIDIA Triton as their model server to bring their containers and deploy them at scale in SageMaker. NVIDIA Triton is an open source model service that runs trained machine learning models from multiple machine learning frameworks, including PyTorch, TensorFlow, XGBoost, and Onyx. Triton is an extensible server, which developers can add new frontends, which can receive requests in specific formats, add new backends, which can handle additional model execution runtime. So that's now available in SageMaker. SageMaker wasn't done at all. Uh, They've also announced new deployment guardrails for inference endpoints. Uh, This is interesting. So using the new guardrails, you can easily switch from the current model in production to a new one in a very controlled way. So this launch introduces canary and linear traffic shifting modes so that you can have granular control over the shifting of traffic from your current model to the new one during the course of an update. With built-in safeguards such as auto rollbacks, you can catch issues early and automatically take corrective action before they cause significant production impact. This one is awesome for uh, machine learning pipelines and uh, changing over to new models as you uh, have new data that you're training them on. SageMaker Pipelines also now supports retry policies and resume. So previously customers had to start a new execution if the pipeline failed or stopped. Now they can resume a failed or stopped pipeline from the previously failed or stopped step, which makes it easier to debug your pipelines and saves time and resource by not re-executing previously successful steps. SageMaker also supports inference testing with custom domains and headers from SageMaker Studio. So customers can now make test inference requests to endpoints with a custom URL and endpoints that require specific headers. And SageMaker has also launched fully managed RStudio Workbench. So this is the industry's first fully managed RStudio integrated development environment. You can easily bring your current RStudio license and migrate self-managed RStudio environments to SageMaker in just a few simple steps. RStudio, as a reminder, is one of the most popular IDEs among R developers for data science, statistical analysis, and machine learning. And you can now take advantage of it inside SageMaker. Lastly, for the topic of SageMaker, SageMaker Autopilot has added support for time series data. So starting today, Autopilot now supports time series data. You can use Autopilot to build machine learning models for regression and classification problems for time series data or any sequence data, enabling scenarios such as supervised anomaly detection, risk assessment, or fault production based on a sequence of data points. Wow, that was a a lot of SageMaker updates, Nikki. You did well. (laughs) I was waiting to hear the collapsing noise of you falling over with all those ones, but a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff there. Amazon is on a roll. (laughs) Amazon Translate now enables multi-directional custom terminology. So today we're introducing multi-directional custom terminology, and this gives you more control and flexibility over your translation workflows. Custom terminology is a feature of Amazon Translate that lets you customize your translation of named entities such that your brand names, character names, model names, and other unique context and content using your terminology file is recognized. With multi-directional custom terminology, you no longer have to constrain yourself to set the first column of your terminology file as your source language. You can now use the same terminology file to translate both to and from a specific language. And Amazon Translate now supports four more languages and variants. So it includes Irish, Marathi, Portugal, Portuguese, and Punjabi. So this really increases the amount of uh, languages and regions and combinations as well. So it's uh, giving you more and more choice. And Amazon Translate now supports AWS KMS encryption. So now you can natively use KMS to encrypt all your data, which you always should. Amazon Lex has launched support for South African English and also for Austrian German as well. So we have some new capabilities in terms of 
what those conversational interfaces can do. And AWS Poly now offers neural text-to-speech voices in Spanish and Italian. So Lucia is available for Castilian Spanish and Bianca for Italian. And I do love the names we give these voices. AWS DeepRacer introduces multi-user account management. So now it makes it a lot easier for event organizers to set up the accounts for multiple users across the races, uh, manage budgets, all the other good stuff you need. So it's a really good thing to use. And Amazon Transcribe now supports custom language models for streaming transcription. So this is an automatic speech recognition service that makes it easy to add speech-to-text capabilities to applications. And CLM allows you to leverage pre-existing data to build a custom speech engine tailored to your transcription use case. No prior machine learning experience required. There is now improved celebrity recognition for Amazon recognition video. So if you want to be able to see if you've got any celebrities in your photos, you will get even better results now because the data set has been updated. And finally, Amazon Textract has launched TIFF support and added asynchronous support for receipts and invoicing process. So this is in addition to support for PNG, JPEG, and PDF formats. You can now process TIFF documents either synchronously or asynchronously using the Amazon Textract APIs. Awesome. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, this is actually a very interesting one. There's now a unified search in the AWS Management Console. Uh, so you can now search inside your console for blogs, knowledge articles, tutorials, and events without ever having to leave the console. They're all available in a unified search, which I think is really cool because cool. I've spent yes. a lot of time in the console. We've also announced the general availability of the AWS Resilience Hub. The Resilience Hub is a new service that provides you with a single place to define, validate, and track the resilience of your application so that you can avoid unnecessary downtime caused by software, infrastructure, or operational disruptions. Resilience Hub will provide a comprehensive view of your overall application portfolio's resilience status through the dashboard, and you can track the resilience of applications through the hub. CloudTrail has announced Error Rate Insights, which is a new feature that enables customers to identify unusual activity in their accounts based on API error codes and the rate that they're occurring. Error Rate Insights work by building a baseline statistical model of normal operating patterns for an API, and by comparing actual error rates to the model, it can notify customers of error rate spikes, so customers can take remedial actions such as updating permissions or raising resource limits. We've also introduced 34 new resource types in the CloudFormation registry between August and October 2021. So our resource type includes schema and handlers that allow API interactions with the underlying AWS or third-party services. There are so many of them. I am not going to go through all of them. <laughs> we will not read them all. Definitely take a look at them in the, sh in the show notes. There's a lot. AWS Control, a lot. <laughs> AWS Control Tower now supports concurrent operations for detective guardrails. So this lets you expedite your guardrail management. You can now enable multiple detective guardrails without needing to wait for individual guardrail operations to complete. So this gives you an out-of-the-box preventative and detective guardrail experience that you can deploy to increase your security, operational, and compliance posture. AWS Fault Injection Simulator now supports Amazon CloudWatch Alarms and AWS Systems Manager Automation Runbook. So you can test your stuff with all those things that you need to pay attention to. And Amazon DevOps Guru now supports multi-account insight aggregation with AWS organizations. So again, you can roll all those insights up across all of your organization. And we're also now happy to announce the general availability of a secure continuous integration and deployment pipeline using the AWS Serverless Application Model Pipelines or AWS SAM Pipelines. This is a new feature of AWS SAM CLI that gives you access to the benefits of CICD in minutes, such as accelerating deployment frequency, shortening your lead time for changes, and reducing deployment errors. The AWS SAM Pipelines comes with a set of default pipeline templates for popular CICD systems such as CloudBees, CI Jenkins, GitLab CICD, GitHub Actions, Bitbucket Pipelines, and AWS CodeBuild Code Pipelines that follow AWS deployment best practices. AWS Systems Manager Maintenance Windows now supports defining custom cutoff behavior for tasks. So now you can stop or continue ongoing tasks when the cutoff time is reached. And we're also happy to introduce support for AWS KMS Customer Managed Keys for encrypting artifacts by Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics. So again, more encryption. You can now do bulk editing of ops items in AWS Systems Manager Ops Center. So it makes it easy to do lots of things at once. And finally, in this topic, AWS Systems Manager Fleet Manager now offers advanced filtering for managed instances. So you can use much more filtering 
applicable to your data, taking out the guesswork of figuring out what you should be looking for. Moving on to the topic of media services, Amazon Nimble Studio has launched the ability to test launch profile configurations via the Nimble Studio console. So now Studio supports the ability for admins to test their launch profile configurations directly from the console, which reduces the number of errors artists experience when provisioning a workstation. AWS Elemental Media Live now supports Nielsen watermarking for audience measurement. Uh, so you can now use Elemental Media Live to encode Nielsen's proprietary watermarks in your Media Live channel, which enables you to encode them into the audio of live streams as well. Uh, so that obviously it's used for audience measurement if you're not familiar. And lastly for this topic, AWS Elemental Media Convert now supports rich text rendering of IMSC 1.1 and TTML subtitle text. Both of these formats allow detailed formatting that includes text size, position, justification, color styling, and shadowing. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer. AWS Data Sync can now copy data between Hadoop Distributed File System, HDFS, and AWS Storage Services. So you can get data out of your HDFS file systems and onto other things to make use of it. We're also happy to introduce AWS Migration Hub Strategy Recommendations. These allow you to easily make a recommendation for how you would migrate and modernize your particular applications running on-premises or in AWS. The new strategy recommendations feature is the ideal starting point to begin your transformation journey because it gives you prescriptive guidance on the optimal strategy and tools to help you migrate and modernize at scale. Uh, it helps you automate that manual process of analyzing each running application, figuring out the dependencies and all the other fun stuff you have to do when we need to migrate. So it's pretty nifty. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, CloudFront now supports configurable core security and custom HTTP response headers. So you can now add core security and custom headers to your HTTP responses returned by your CloudFront distributions. You no longer need to configure your origins or use custom Lambda at the edge or CloudFront functions to insert these headers. So lots of different headers that you can now insert without additional configuration. Transit Gateway Network Manager has launched new APIs to simplify network and route analysis in your global network. So these APIs enable you to perform automated analysis of your global network and allows you to build your own topological view for visualization purposes. You can get an aggregated view of your global network resources, analyze routes, and retrieve telemetry data across AWS regions using several new APIs. I'm not going to list them all. Please see them all in the show notes. App Mesh metric extension is now generally available. With the metric extension, customers can collect and filter aggregated app mesh service metrics that help with debugging, simplify monitoring, and reduce usage costs. The metric extension is available to all customers running workloads on EC2. The Global Accelerator has added support for two new Amazon CloudWatch metrics. You can now monitor the total number of healthy endpoints and the total number of unhealthy endpoints served by your accelerator, including EC2 instances, application load balancers, network load balancers, and elastic IP addresses. With these new metrics, you can create CloudWatch alarms to more quickly and easily detect issues with your global accelerator endpoints. You can now disable default reverse DNS rules with the Route 53 resolver. So this allows you to have more control over your environment and you couldn't disable those in the past, but now you can. AWS Load Balancer Controller version 2.3 is now available with support for ALB IPv6 targets. So this provides a Kubernetes native way to configure and manage your ELBs. And the AWS pricing calculator now supports Amazon CloudFront. So now you can figure out your costs based upon particular volumes, etc. And you can also look at an optimal monthly spend commitment that could save up to 30% of your CloudFront bill in exchange for a one-year commitment. Let's move on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance. You can now manage access centrally for CyberArk users with AWS single sign-on. You can also do the same for JumpCloud users as well. And the AWS Secrets Manager has increased the secrets limit to 500,000 per account, which is up from 40,000 per account. Whoa. It's pretty cool. And it simplifies secrets management for software as a service or platform as a service applications that rely on unique secrets for large numbers of end customers. The AWS Security Hub has added three new foundational security best practice standard items and three new partners as well. So this helps you get more input into your security posture and understand what's going on in that very scary world. Uh, some of the new integration partners include HackerOne and Logzi.io, um, which helps you get a view of the vulnerabilities that are out there. 
AWS Security Hub has added support for AWS Private Link for private access to Security Hub APIs. And the Security Hub has also added support for cross-region aggregation of findings to simplify how you evaluate and improve your AWS security posture. The AWS Audit Manager custom framework sharing is now also generally available, and this allows instant access of your custom frameworks across multiple AWS accounts without the need to manually copy or move underlying custom controls. Moving on to the topic of storage, AWS Backup has a couple announcements here. They provide new resource assignment rules for your data protection policies. The new resource assignment options allow you to define your selection criteria using AWS-supported resource types, which is a combination of AWS tags and resource IDs, and enables you to automatically identify the AWS resources that store data of your business-critical applications and protect your data using immutable backups. Backup has also added support for Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility. So this allows you to centrally manage data protection of your DocumentDB clusters with other supported services for database storage and compute now inside AWS Backup. And they've also added support for Amazon Neptune to its portfolio of supported services. And lastly, for this topic, there is a new AWS solutions implementation called Web Client for AWS Transfer Family. The web client for AWS Transfer Family provides an intuitive web browser interface for using AWS Transfer for SFTP, and it allows you to adopt AWS Transfer Family, plus provides a simple web portal to your corporate SFTP environments for your users. That was a whole bunch of updates today, Nikki. (laughs) Oh my, we got through it. And uh, one of the fun things is I'm recording, I'm back in the office, I'm recording in the studio and I I use my laptop as part of my recording rig and I do not have the power cable with me. So I didn't, I didn't bring my charging brick with me. And because I'm using uh, a a laptop that's pretty crappy when it comes to battery life, uh, I'm at 6%. (laughs) So in the background, Uh, I've been turning, I've been turning stuff off the, the, uh, the um, brightness on my screen is very, very low. Um, So it's telling me it's time for us to go. Nikki, how do people get in touch? You can find me on Twitter. My handle is knee, like your knee, and a key 23. That's K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. I answer all my DMs there and always happy to hear your feedback on the podcast. Thanks, Nikki. Good to have you back on the show again. Good to be back. And we love to hear your feedback. AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the other place to do it. And of course, you can record your own feedback as well. Link on the webpage. And until next time, keep on building. Episode number 500 of the AWS podcast is coming up. We have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests, but we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, etc., we'd love to hear from you. If you visit aws.amazon.com slash podcast slash AWS dash podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode.